Ramsey Events Center, broadcasting from the Pods Moving and Storage Studios. It's The Ramsey Show, where we help people build wealth, do work that they love, and create actual amazing relationships. We're here in the Ramsey Live Event Center uh, for the first time ever with a few friends hang out, hanging out with some good people. Welcome, guys. Somewhere around 1,500 folks here in the live studio audience. George Camel, Ramsey personality, host of the uh, newly minted George Camel YouTube channel and co-host of uh, Smart Money Happy Hour is my co-host. Also co-hosting this hour, Ken Coleman of The Ken Coleman Show, helping people with their work, with their careers, and with the number one best-selling book, Paycheck to Purpose. We'll be taking calls from uh, all across America at 888-825-5225. And we're also going to take some questions here from our live studio audience and get to hang out with you guys in person in this process. So let's start with the studio audience. Uh, up first is Tommy. Hi, Tommy. How are you? Hey, doing great. How are you? Better than I deserve, sir. Where do you live? Uh, Georgia. Wow, good. Yes, Welcome sir. to Nashville. And uh, your question for the day? My question is, so my fiance and I are 24 years old, recently engaged three weeks ago, and- um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, pretty much. My question for y'all is, if you could go back and talk to your 24-year-old self, what are the top three pieces of advice that you would give yourself? Wow. Should we narrow it down? There's three I'll, of us. I'll That's nine to, pieces right, of advice, Ken. Right, George, we, I, I feel you putting the pressure. I'll go fast and leave all the time. So I think oh, oh, oh. the first thing is I would tell myself to learn how to fail faster. And what I mean by that is step into things, try things faster, fail, get into failure quickly because the quicker I fail, the quicker I learn. And then I would also learn how to get over the failure faster. So that's what I mean by fail fast. Jump into stuff. Now, not be crazy risky, but just try things, do things that you want to do and learn through the failure and then get over the failure. Second thing would be hang out with older people more. You know, I'm middle-aged now and I, I don't feel that way except for after a round of golf. But uh, I, I, I think that the people that have reached the 60s and 70s and 80s have so much to teach us, even now at my age. And, yeah, and I, I wish I had sat with some older people in my dad's church more and, and asked them about life and asked them about marriage and parenting. So I would say that. And then I'd say, you said 24, so Stacy and I are getting ready to celebrate 25 years of marriage in May. And so we, I got married at 23. Thank you very much. And I would have said, uh, apologize faster and better. Yeah, because you're wrong. Yeah. She's not. You're wrong. Yeah, so he's absolutely right. So that'd be my three things. For me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with this one for the engaged couple. The best marriage advice, I think, is to outserve each other. And if you do that from 24 to 74, you will have an amazing 50-year marriage. Uh, on the money side and on the life side, you have time. I meet so many people who are 22 or 32, and they're going, That's, I, I ruined my life. I made money mistakes. There's no time. Dude, you have so much time. And the third one is don't squander it. And so be intentional and realize that patience is, is the game. 
and think long-term, have long-term vision, long-term goals, and you'll have a great life and a great marriage. Wow. You guys are good. Y'all ought, y'all ought to do this for a living. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. I'm not sure I've got anything as good as theirs. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that Sharon and I learned through going broke and 40 years of marriage is just to, we spend an awful lot of time being uh, talking through things to, and reaching agreement before we move forward. So we don't do giving, uh, substantial giving. We don't do purchases. Uh, we don't, uh, we run our calendar and our budget together. And so we, she says, time to do calendars. And we sit down and look at, okay, I'm going to be traveling here. I'm going to be in Salt Lake City this month. I'm going to be in Anaheim. I'm going to be doing this. I'm, you know, we've got this weekend smart conference. I've got May. I've got entree leadership. So I know what my work stuff is. And, uh, and we've got this with the kids and we've got this with the grandkids, my grandkids, uh, uh, softball and t-ball and soccer are on my calendar. Uh, don't make all of them, but I make some of them. And they're at least there where I can see them. So managing our time, managing our money, and being in agreement on where they're going is uh, how we have managed our lives together. And it's caused us to be in agreement. Jesus says your treasure is where your heart is. And when you can agree on your spending, you've really agreed on your fears, your future, your, uh, uh, your dreams. You're agreeing on those things. And when you're not in agreement, you spend so much time and angst pulling at each other and pulling away. I would do that. Um, the second thing I would tell you to do is both of you make sure you get a really tight friend group of people that win. Uh, I've been very careful to put a group of guys in my life, group of men in my life for 25 years now. Uh, there was a group for the first 14 years. It was a Bible study every Wednesday morning at my office. And then after that, it's been a different group of guys. or some overlap. But for the, uh, for the next 10 years and currently today, 10 of my closest friends, and uh, six of those will carry my casket if I go before them. These are my men. And they've got strong marriages, strong spiritual walk. They're smart at business. They're well-read. Many of them have written more bestsellers than I have. Uh, they're successful in their area, and you become who you hang around with. So be really careful who you hang around with. Uh, I mean, you can love anybody, and I'm not saying snob people or something like that, but I'm talking about your crew, the people that you spend time with, because you're going to use the same language they use. You're going to use this. You're going to read the same books they read. Uh, you're going to adopt the same values they do. Uh, you're even going to have their accent. It's ridiculous, and so choose it carefully. Choose it carefully. Be not deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. The Bible says, and that is very true so not nearly as good as those guys but that's my two no that's good I, and i and i would tell you dave said something that made me think of something and stacy and i have we've just learned recently walking through this but the people you start out with won't necessarily be the people you finish nah. with it breaks your heart and it's hard I got to tell you. And so be okay with that. So I would tell myself, be okay with that because yeah. we, are, we are going this way. This is the life that we're going to choose to live. And not everybody's going to be on that same lane. If we look at the a life as a track lane and we're in lane six, there's going to be some people that you'll start with that won't finish with you. And that's going to hurt, but you're going to have to choose to live your life. And you don't, you don't control all. No, you do not. It's not like you climb the ladder and kick people yeah, off. Yeah, you didn't say leave us. Yeah, no. that's not what's going that's on. That's right. It's not you're kicking people off the ladder. They chose to jump. That's right. Or chose to not climb. Yep. Or chose to misbehave in some other way, invalidating their presence in your life. 
They, they just do that. You can't keep them from, it's just, uh, it's, it hurts, hurts. Good question, sir. Congratulations. Very well done. This is The Ramsey Show. It continues to amaze me how identity thieves keep finding ways to use our own identities against us. Not only do they commit crimes related to financial fraud, medical ID theft, and insurance benefit fraud, but now we have to deal with home title fraud. Thieves are using your own personal info to take ownership of your home so they can take out loans and you end up with a pile of debt and foreclosure notices. Over 4,000 data breaches happened in 2018, exposing 3.6 billion records. So thieves have plenty of identities to use and there's a one in five chance it will be yours. That's why Xander Insurance is the only program I use and recommend. Their plan covers all types of identity theft, and it takes over all the work if you become a victim. Visit Xander.com or call 800-356-4282. Welcome back to the Ramsey Show. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host, Ken Coleman, Ramsey personality, number one best-selling author, host of the Ken Coleman Show, is my co-host today. George Camel, Ramsey personality, is my other co-host uh, this hour, rather. We're taking calls from the auditorium here, our, our questions from the auditorium floor, as well as calls from across America at 888-825-5225. Chris is next up. Hey, Chris, how are you? Great. How are you? Better than I deserve. What's Excellent. up? Um. So as you're aware, the Total Money Makeover was published in 2003, and I'm sure you're also aware that the first baby step is to save $1,000 starter emergency fund. So my question, since the book has been released for 20 years, and with the current dramatic rise in inflation, do you still feel $1,000 is the correct amount to start to be successful with your plan? $1,000 was not enough in 2003. <laughs> It was never designed to be enough. It's enough to uh, buy an alternator for a car or a tire, maybe one or two. Uh, it's enough to uh, take your kid to the pediatrician if they're sick, but it's not enough to be a real emergency fund. It's enough to keep the little things from kicking your butt off the get out of debt wagon. Because what we, when we first started this stuff years ago, I, just, I, I said, use all your savings, have zero. And that didn't work, honestly. That, in the, if you had come to Financial Peace University when I was teaching it with an overhead projector before we had the baby steps, I just was hardcore. Just, you know, I'm, like you're in boot camp. Shut up, sell everything, use all your money, don't whine, get your butt out of debt. Because if you don't get out of debt, none of this is going to work. And, but we discovered pretty quickly that every little thing that came along that wasn't in their little budget the first few months, knock them out, knock them out, knock them out, and then they would give up hope. The people in Financial Peace would give up hope because they couldn't do the system. The system wasn't working. So we decided, okay, we're gonna give you just a little bit of a beginner starter emergency fund just to knock the little stuff off. If you have a car transmission go out, it's not enough. If you have something big happen, it's not enough. It's not designed to be enough. It's just there to cover while you'd go through through the typically it's about 18 months 
Out of the 10 million people that have been through Financial Peace University, it's 18 months to get out of debt, not counting your house, baby step two. Now, that means some of them do it in three months and some of them do it in 30, but the average is 18. So it's designed just to keep the little crap away. But if, if your car blows up during that 18 months, it's not enough. And it never was designed to be enough. So it's, it doesn't need to be inflation adjusted because it wasn't supposed to be enough. But good question. Thank you, sir. I just want to say something very quick about inflation because that's all we hear about. It makes you click and that's what the media is supposed to do. But understand that the reason why inflation is stubborn, folks, is now wage pressures. And that's fancy economic language that I barely understand. But it means that hourly rates and salaries are at an all-time high. And the reason why your Burger King combo or your bread costs more is because they're paying the person in those positions at Burger King and the grocery store more. So when I hear that question, I think it's a good question, but let's also understand that we, the people, still have tremendous individual responsibility and power to see in this economy where we have about four and a half million more jobs available than there are people who are unemployed. And right now in the gig economy, which means I go out and do something part-time and freelance economy, there is more opportunity to make really good money. So if your gazelle intense and that $1,000 isn't enough, you go make use of more money and pay for that all alternator. You can go make plenty of money in this economy right now. That's a great point, Ken. And on top of that, Ken makes a great point. People don't think about, okay, let's walk through that worst case scenario. You have an emergency that's more than $1,000. What do you do? We tell you to pause the baby steps and stack up cash really quickly. And most people doing the plan, they didn't have much more than a thousand to begin with. And so this hypothetical scenario where they had so much money and could cover all these emergencies, it just doesn't exist. If we made the emergency fund in baby step one, $5,000, we would have a tiny portion of the population be able to do that and have the hope and motivation to continue. Yeah. But Chris's question, if you were going to say the plan is, let's say we got to baby step three and instead of saying three to six months of expenses, we said $10,000 or $15,000 in 2003. Now today, would we need to say, okay, that's not correct anymore. We would need to adjust it because it's not enough. If it, if it was enough in 2003 to have a $15,000 baby step three, it's not enough mm. in 2023. So his, his, his concept is valid, mm -hmm. but it doesn't apply to baby step one. And the good news is, is that the other baby steps are not fixed amounts. That's the only one that's a fixed amount. The rest of them are percentages. And so they flow out of that percentage and the percentages will adjust with inflation and with wage pressures and with everything else. So, you know, okay, a million dollars isn't what it used to be in your retirement account. True. But we million dollars is just a milestone. It wasn't the only target. We said put 15% away in baby step four and hopefully 10 million is what you get. You know I mean? Uh, so, you know, it, it's adjusted that way. Uh, and so three to six months of expenses. Your expenses have changed since 2003. They should have, yeah. And so your emergency fund would need to be bigger today, your baby step three one. So his concept is accurate in questioning a number, a fixed number from 2003, but it also gives me the opportunity to explain that baby step one wasn't ever designed to be that in the first place. Because I get that, you know, some of these idiots on Tic Tac or whatever that are, um, you know, Dave Ramsey doesn't know what he's talking about. His stuff's outdated. Yeah, that's right. It's out, you know, the law of gravity is now outdated. So, <laughs> But Dave, you've, you've told people on air before, you've t have you tweaked that $1,000 number based on a very specific situation where you went, all right, fine, you can do 1500 you could do 500 
You what, know what, what are the I, scenarios? The other thing I realized is that uh, I, I, this didn't, you know, none of these baby steps came from the Bible. They came from our experiences of, of coaching thousands of people. And uh, so they're not absolute truth in that sense. Uh, they're, they're based on concepts that are absolute truth, but they're not, the baby steps themselves are not magical. All they are is a clear path, and everybody needs a clear path to do whatever they're going to do. Ten, Ken teaches a clear path to get into a new position and a step-by-step -step process. You've got to have a clear path. You know, if you get ready to go to college and you want to graduate, there's a clear path. It's called a syllabus. Take the freaking classes, get the degree. You know, there's a clear path. You know what you have to do to get there. And so winning always involves a clear path and a process. So that part, and I'm aware, George, that somebody's going to decide to do whatever they want to do because they're like grown-ups and stuff. But, uh, but I'm not going to vary on the air because every time we vary on the air, we, we not only vary for that single person that's on the, that's, that we're talking to, but 22 million other people are listening. And so then you start to blow up the whole idea. And the beauty of the baby steps of the clear path, including the one that Ken uses, is uh, we don't vary from it because it, 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 and then people start to believe it because it's a proven path. It's a proven system. And if you submit yourself to a proven system, then you can you can hit those goals. So it's a good, it's a really good discussion. Well, everyone thinks they're special. Everyone thinks they're unique. They're the outlier. You know, we like, oh, well, Dave, you don't understand my situation. You are, but that doesn't exclude you from the law of gravity. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think I'm special. You're going to hit the sidewalk. Shut up. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, that's it. I mean, you're not, you're special, but you're not, you know? That we all are. I mean, you're unique. You have unique situations, and that's what makes the show interesting. People calling in with unique uh, family life and unique situations. You're going, that's cray cray. You know, it's entertaining. You know, and but the principles that we guide our lives by. Um, you know, like you all told the young guy there. You know, be sure you apologize early and often. That's a great principle. Okay. Does it apply every single time? No, I don't need to apologize to my wife if she runs over me with a car. You know, it's, it's her fault, you know? That was so, a very specific scenario, Dave. I know, but I'm just trying to think of something bizarre, right? You know, somebody misbehaving, you know, so, but, but, but is apologizing a good principle? You bet it is. Quickly, early, and often? You bet it is. It's a wonderful, it's a sign of, of uh, strength, of confidence, of humility. It's a, you know, it's weak people that can't apologize. It requires courage. So it's a, you know, those are, those are simple things, but these simple concepts do apply universally. This is The Ramsey Show. Thank you for joining us, America. This is The Ramsey Show. We're live in the Ramsey Event Center with 1,500 of our closest friends. Woo! George Campbell, Ramsey personality. Uh, Ken Coleman, Ramsey personality, is my co-host. We, uh, uh, it, what you may not know about the Ramsey personality is we actually enjoy hanging out uh, together all the time, anyway. And so we get up here and cut up. Uh, it's kind of like what it is when we're sitting in a meeting somewhere. We just cut up and carry and argue and fuss and fight and make fun of each other and everything else. So it's kind of part of the gig, and uh, we just enjoy hanging out with each other because. Uh, I like hanging out with smart people. It's a good thing. Hey, by the way, uh, speaking of smart people, thank you guys so much for helping us promote this show. Uh, this week, we are number 11 podcast in the entire world. Wow. 
sometimes when someone says they're a number something podcast or a number something best-selling book, they're like, okay, I'm the number one best-selling book on Amazon among people who own French bulldogs or whatever. I mean, it's these little nuanced categories, but this is the entire freaking universe of three million plus podcasts. We're number 11. So thank you guys very, very much. Our guys uh, are, for some reason, they are desperate to be in the top 10. You can help us if you share the podcast, uh, if you uh, share a link on it, if you let people know that we're out here, uh, if you leave a review, a five-star review, if you want to leave one star, uh, Mama said if you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all, don't bother, just keep your butt moving on to something else if you don't like it, it's okay. And it's what we do, and probably not going to stop doing it this way. So anyway, move on, and thank you for that, and uh, so... I want to so share, subscribe, leave a review. That's it. Yeah, do all those things. Click, click the follow button and all that stuff, right? That's that a new works? thing. Yep. On Spotify, it's now a follow on it's Apple a, as well. Uh, yeah, okay. So follow, follow, follow. Thank George. George knows the technical. I keep up. So, yeah, that's good. So, yeah, I just have people that tell me what to do around here that know all these things. So, all right, let's go uh, move back to the studio audience. Jessica is here. Hi, Jessica. How are you? Great. How are you? Better than I deserve. Where do you live? Fort Worth, Texas. Ah, I love Fort Worth. Welcome to Nashville. Thank you. How can we help? My husband and I are debt-free, except for our mortgage. Yay! Thank you. Thanks to you guys. So here's my question. I've been waiting to see what is going to happen to our credit score now that we have no other debt except our mortgage. I'm not sure if it's going to eventually become unreportable or if it's just going to dwindle down and make it harder for us to buy another house, which we might be doing in the next year or so. So what will happen to our credit score? Well, we're not sure, to be honest with you, because uh, uh, the folks at FICO hold... uh, for good reason, and they should, hold the details of their algorithm very tightly. Because if they didn't, then people would spend their entire lives trying to manipulate their score. So they should not put out how this works. Uh, but what we think we see, number one, aside, aside from that, we do know that if you have zero activity and zero accounts open of any kind, the only thing are reported are closed, paid-off accounts, that in somewhere around six months, as you said, your score will be undeterminable. But you have an account that's open. It's called a mortgage. So you're sitting there paying the payment, paying the payment, paying the payment. Wait a minute. I got a test case right here. You had a mortgage. And then you paid it off. Before you paid it, and you had no score when you got the mortgage. Correct. So you, I would assume you got a score after that. So what you're sitting there with one account, a mortgage, paying it. What happened to the score? It disappears after six no, or seven months. No, after you paid the house off. Oh, it's, it no, sticks around. While you were paying the house, though, you had a score. I, it created a score, and it was a Did it the was score a go down, though, after it came in? No. What, what was your score? Do you know? Uh, I think it was in the 700s. So with just a single house payment, paying it on time, no other accounts at all, you had a 700. Yes. Then you'll be fine. So it's, it's not going to ding you. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to buy a house within six months after you pay it off, you think, or would it be a while? We're probably about a year out from buying a house, and we've been debt-free except the mortgage for a, a little over a year. But you're not going to pay off the house before we you buy We probably won't one. buy, yeah, we probably won't yeah. pay it off. Okay. So you're going to be sitting there just paying a payment like he did with a single one account open that has activity on it and you pay it on time. You're probably going to be in the 700. That, I'm, you, I've got a one-person case study that I based that on, okay? Very scientific. But, um, but, but anecdotally, that's what I've seen as well. Conceptually, that's what we've heard is that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't just like keep going down into the 600s, the low 600s, even down into 500s, right? Just because you only have one account. 
If you only have one account, you pay it properly on time, it should level off. Now, you're not going to get an 880 with that because an 880 is people borrowing, paying, borrowing, paying, borrowing, paying, borrowing, paying. They're, they're trying to drive the score. And we do know that there's five things. FICO publishes this. There are five things that cause your score. All of them are related to being in debt and how you relate to debt and how you pay the debt. None of them are related to your income, your financial health, your net worth. We do know that. FICO publishes that. So the FICO score is not a measure, for those of you that don't know, of financial health. It's a measure of how much you've been playing kissy face with the bank. That's all it is. And so, uh, you know, to worship at the altar of the FICO score is to worship at the altar of Bank of America, which is a really stupid but idea. But in your case, you've got a very valid thing that you're trying to uh, manage your life in such a way while being responsible that doesn't keep you from getting this next house. But it sounds like you're probably going to be, I mean, generally speaking, the, you, you probably, if you had a, up close to 800, you paid off a bunch of stuff and it's come down into the 700s, or, you know, and, it's, and it should have leveled off and it should just sit there. That's what we've been seeing in general. And I'm glad I could confirm that with you. I just realized I had one sitting here. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's, there's three things that would happen. Number one, you guys upgrade with cash, which would be a cool goal for your next house. Number two, you get a mortgage and you still have a credit score and the mortgage company uses that and it'll probably be a good score. Or number three, the credit score goes away and you go through the manual underwriting process. And so either way, you're going to be good to go there. Yeah, you're that, doing it the right way. But the credit score will not go away as long as you have that mortgage on the books. Yeah. Good question. Thank you for stopping by. Appreciate you being here today. Let's go to Nick in Milwaukee on the phones. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the Ramsey Show. Good afternoon, sir. Afternoon. Okay, my question is, I was told that we should get a home, <clears throat> excuse me, home equity line of credit to add to our retirement profile. Who, who told what, you that, what Nick? What is your thoughts? I was told by our banker that that, that makes no. sense. That makes sense. Your banker told you you should be in debt. I'm so yeah. shocked. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not bankers, and so we have your best interest at heart. They just want your interest, and so here's what I would tell you: uh, the HELOC puts your home in jeopardy and puts you further into debt. And so I don't understand how this is a, a smart part of like a wealth building plan. The smartest thing to do would be to pay your house off, not use a HELOC, pay cash for everything, and not have your home at risk because your home is collateral with that HELOC. Correct. That's a safer retirement in my book. Nick, let me, let me yeah. um, just be real, very, very clear, okay? If you want to build wealth, the best thing you can do with a banker is never talk to them again. <laughs> okay? Okay. I have never met a millionaire that says, I used all my banker's advice, and so I became a millionaire. <laughs> never once has that ever happened. It's never come up. They're, they're, they're really, really bad at everything except getting you into debt. They re, you know, if you've got a financial planner that works at your bank, mm-hmm. don't use them. Get another one. Because he, need, he couldn't get a good job. I mean, he got stuck at the bank. I mean, it sucks. So, you know, that's the thing you want to do for sure. That's just, um, oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. And, and the second thing then, Nick, is to uh, always be sitting with someone with the heart of a teacher. And uh, when you have a conversation that sounds like the one he had, uh, when you get home, you need to take a shower because you know you've been in the presence of slime. And so it's, you know, 
but and we all we all know that feeling, right? And slimy people. And so you need someone with the heart of a teacher, not the heart of a salesman. That guy had nothing to do with Nick's best interest. They sell debt. That is right. what they do. Matter of fact, I don't even want my savings account where that guy is. He's either uh, he's either after you're with malice or he's just dumber than a rock. And both are really dangerous. This is The Ramsey Show. Welcome back to The Ramsey Show. We're here with 1,500 of our closest friends at the Ramsey Live Event Center. Ken Coleman, George Camel, Ramsey Personalities are my co-hosts today. A lot of questions, particularly this time of year, uh, about taxes. Ugh. Let's unpack one from one of our listeners. What happens if you file your taxes late? Uh, you'll be penalized. And if you pay them late, you'll be penalized with interest. And uh, you definitely want to avoid that, especially if you owe taxes. Here's why. If you miss the tax filing deadline, you'll be charged a late filing penalty, uh, a failure to file penalty, a uh, just we don't like you penalty. They come up with all kinds of penalties up there. It's pretty cool. And the longer you wait, the worse the penalty is and the more the interest is, the longer you wait to pay. Uh, There is no penalty if you miss the deadline and don't owe taxes. But if, if the IRS owes you a refund, of course, you won't get your money back until you file. Here's an interesting thing, too, that we've learned over the years. People in crisis uh, with their taxes or in crisis with their finances and their taxes, uh, they do not put people in jail for failure to pay. They will put people in jail, 2579 last year, uh, for failure to file. It is against the law to not file your taxes, but we do not have a debtor's prison yet. Um, and so not paying your taxes is, uh, obviously not a good idea, but, uh, you know, the big thing is make sure you file and the best thing you can do, even if you can't pay is file on time. Yeah. Uh, cause it gets rid of some of the other penalties just on failure to file. So for God's sakes, file your taxes and, uh, I'm off the grid. No, you're not. You're just My favorite is the crypto bros who are like, it's unregulated. I'm like, what's the first question when you file your taxes? Did you make money from crypto? So much for your unregulated money, guys. Yeah, any you income you have fraud. in America, if, you are, if you're a U.S. citizen, is taxable. It's period. I mean, it's just that's an, unless it falls under a deduction under the regulations. But you don't get to go, oh, well, I don't have to report that. It's cash. No, that's not how it works. So, uh, all right. Okay. Open phones to this hour at 888-825-5225. And we're also taking live questions today from our live studio audience from the floor. Up next is going to be Matt. Hi, Matt. Hey, how are you? Great, man. Where do you live? Doing good. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Very cool. Good to have you, sir. How can we help? Uh, so just wondering if, uh, when my parents pass away, if they have debt, where does that go? Well, when someone passes away, what you own has to stand good for what you owe. And so if they have any assets, like say they had a house or say they had a car or something like that, those items have to be sold to pay their debts before there's an inheritance. If there's money in a bank account, it had to be used to pay their debts before there is an inheritance. If someone dies uh, with a negative net worth where they owe more than they own, then some of those debts are simply not going to be paid. 
They do, you do, children do not inherit debt in America. Okay, our current legal system, you do not inherit debt. But it does keep you from, you can't go, I'm going to keep grandpa's truck, but we're not going to pay any of his bills. No, that's not how it works, okay? Grandpa's truck is one of his assets. And so you can't just go, I, I get to keep the assets and not pay the debts. But, uh, but, but you know, you don't have to worry about inheriting a bunch of debt from someone who's got a horrible financial situation, all debt and no money or whatever, but you can't keep things. The biggest place that comes into play that's really painful is if um, one of the spouses, they've kept their money separate, which is stupid, and uh, one of the spouses has run up a bunch of debt and they own a house together. And so Papa dies and Papa has $80,000 in credit card debt because Grandma couldn't tell him nothing, right? And so, but they own a house together. Well, she's got to pay that $80,000 in credit card debt in order to keep the house because half of that house is his and it has to stand good for his stuff. And so you can't, that's the problem with being in partnerships with people too is you get into this exact same mess. So, um, but as far as, you, like for your parents as an example, I don't know if you're talking about for real example, but if your parents died and had a bunch of debt, it does not wash over to you, but you can't have any of their assets until that debt is paid. Yep. And if you co-sign for it, you would be liable. But as long as you're not a co-signer on any of their debt, you're good. The creditors may try to come after you. They don't have any legal standing. You send them a death yeah. certificate and it, it goes away. People get confused. Like, uh, I, I, I want grandpa's house, but do I have to pay his mortgage? Yeah. Yeah, because they'll foreclose on the house. You're not technically liable for the mortgage, but they have a lien against that house. And so they'll take the freaking house if you don't pay it. Um, the weird thing is you can actually take over the mortgage and you're still not technically financially responsible for the mortgage but in someone's death. But, uh, but the house still stands good for the mortgage. And so you, if you want to keep the house, you've got to pay the mortgage and so, uh, or pay it off or whatever you're going to do. So those things stand that way. But what, when you die, your net worth is what you own minus what you owe. If there's anything left, only then is there an inheritance. If there's a negative figure left, then somebody's not going to get paid. And we've had to walk, sadly, in financial coaching sessions through with people where we go, okay, um, dad died and he left... 60,000 bucks worth of credit card debt. And they're calling me wanting the money. And I'm like, well, you don't know the money. So all you got to do is get your dad's death certificate, send them a copy of it and go, here you go, Bank of America. Here's what you get. Nothing, which is kind of fun. But yeah, because it's what you deserve. You own an 89-year-old, $642,000 on a credit card. You deserve to burn, right? And so you get nothing. And just send them the death certificate because that's what they get. Nothing. Because there's nothing there. Dad's got nothing. He died in an apartment, nothing. His clothes are all that's there. That's it, penniless. And, and we've had to walk people through, get the death certificate to get them off your back because you don't owe it. You simply don't. Debt does not transfer generationally. And, and so open phones here. Thank you, sir. Very good call. Very good question. Appreciate you. 888 825 Ken and George, talk a little bit about uh, this thing. We're getting more and more and more of it. Uh, we had a weird call, I guess it was yesterday or day before, uh, uh, of a will that had gone bad, um, a, an estate planning thing that had gone bad. How important it is to get your estate plan in place and inform everyone the details of it while you're alive. Mm. Well, number one, everyone in this room 
you guys don't have to worry about dying with debt because y'all are going to be debt-free with money to burn and leave to your children's children. That's the goal. That is my goal for everyone listening, everyone in this room. And on the will side, people think, Dave, they're going to like somehow die earlier if they have a will. But the truth is a will just is how you say I love you to your family. The last thing I want is grieving on top of a financial mess because they don't know where to find half the crap. The government then has to decide what happens through probate. That's a nightmare. It's, not, it's so much easier in today's world now. You can just do it online. We've got Mama Bear legal forms. It took me 20 minutes and I was done. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think I would, the thing I would add is just looking at it as a father of three. Um, and, and by the way, this plays into life insurance as well. And so I hope you listen to our message about taking care of your family. And I sleep better at night, number one. But number two is my parents are getting older. They're now in their mid-70s and, and talking with them and making sure that they've got everything set. It takes the tension out of a season of grieving. And I think that's what I've always appreciated about what Dave teaches about that is that it's very clear. The directives about what I want to happen with my assets and everything are very, very clear. It takes the argument out of the situation and uh, allows people to grieve and then move on. And it's part of leaving a legacy. We teach that all the time. You want to change your family tree and leave a legacy? Have a will so that we're not happy that you're gone, but we are not grieving over the nightmare we have to take over with your finances and the assets. Yeah. I mean, the world's worst is a bunch of hillbillies in the backyard with a metal detector trying to find the coffee can. <laughs> I got that call, Dave. He had a hundred grand in coffee cans. I said, "What's your address?" For real? I'll be right there. Yeah. yeah. By the way, yeah. it still happens today. Uh, since we're making big announcements, this is not as momentous as what you're saying to people earlier. But uh, I've decided to change my will, and uh, at the time of my untimely death, you will get all of my shoes. Oh, that's such a blessing. Wait, what size are you? I, I, I don't know if Does that matter size. Kind of. It, it matter? killed the joke, George. Sorry. I was hoping you were going to say golf clubs, honestly. Oh, no. You get some nice clubs. My shoes are worth way more than my golf clubs. That's one of those, like, you know you might be a redneck. You know you might be Metro if your <laughs> shoes are worth more than your golf clubs. I'm just saying. I had to get him back for the gap. He made the gap kids joke. I had to get him back before the show was over. There we go. See, you walk into it. That's, that's right. Yeah. Mess with the bear. I love it. Kid Coleman, George Camel this hour. Good show, gentlemen. This is The Ramsey hey, it's Show. George Camel. If you like what you heard in this episode and want to know more about getting started on the Ramsey Baby Steps, go to RamseySolutions.com and click on the Get Started button. We'll help you figure out the best next step for you based on your specific situation. That's RamseySolutions.com and click Get Started.